Unearthed SBG podcast, where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles. With me today are Richard, Ian, Alexander, and we have a special guest with us today. It is Marco. Hey, how's it going, guys? Marco is one of the hobbyists that we play with locally in Vancouver, Canada. And he'll be joining us to talk today about Army of Thor and specifically Thor and Thrain. So a couple of introduction questions for Marco. When did you get into this game? I like to think it's a pretty funny story. It was a tournament, a local tournament. Uh, recent events has kind of skewed my sense of time, but I think it was about three years ago. Um, and as my first Maybe a month prior, I picked up a Isengard lot off of Craigslist, and I was like, sweet, like, I've always loved Isengard, and so I picked up this lot, and I had a full army, and I show up to, like, Games Workshop, uh, our local Games Workshop, and I see, I think it was Ian and Alex there, and I was like, hey, Ian, like, I know you you guys are big in the hobby, I'm going to this tournament, and Ian's like, sweet, man, like, what are you bringing? And I was like, Isengard, he's like, okay, cool, I was like, I don't know how to play, he's like, okay. So we did one round of quick combat with like a warband each and I like had my Isengard troll and it was good fun and then <laughs> roll up to the tournament I think three days later and lo and behold it's against <laughs> Richard's filthy uh I don't even know what the list was but I had Kirdan in it and uh and I just got absolutely dismantled, and it was the most fun I've had playing war games in a long time, coming from uh, actually Warhammer Fantasy Battle in the years prior when that was around, and then Warhammer 40k prior to my entry into SBG. And, you know, I got beaten into smithereens and still had a great time, and I think that shit goes to show how fun the game can be. I just want to say, in defense of myself, this was one of the times where I didn't bring a filthy list. This was a Last Alliance list. So it was green. Green! Oh, yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm surprised I led an intro game that was actually fun for somebody. Usually it just doesn't go well. <laughs> I, uh, maybe I have a weird definition. Of time, but it, was, it was a good time. So I guess my next question is, despite getting destroyed... What was fun about that experience and what kind of kept you coming back after that experience? Like, what about this game? Uh, as much as I would like to chalk it up to, uh, you know, the rules writing team and Lord of the Rings as a whole is actually our local community is just absolutely incredible. Like Richard was gracious the entire time, helped me out, explained the rules while, you know, never pulling any punches and... I got to chat with some of our other members, you know, in a tournament. It was a pretty big tournament, um, and everyone just seemed really cool coming from maybe some other games where it was a little more difficult to find people that were maybe in a similar state in their lives and were reasonable people as a whole, but compound that with how incredible Lord of the Rings as a <laughs> story, as a you know, basis for common what fantasy, what the fantasy genre is currently with you know, how well the model makers, the artists designed these sculpts, how amazing the rules writing team managed to put together this rule set that's changed since its first iteration in, what, 2001? Yeah. 2000, 2001. But realistically, it's still the same at heart. And 
you know, you have the wonders of new players coming in and loving the game, playing against people that have been around since 2001 that are still loving the game. And I think that's timeless. That's incredible. Yeah, and I think in our open topic today, we'll get into more about what is it that we, we like and we love the most about this game system. And then I guess the last thing was that we're going to be talking about Army of Thor in this episode, and that's the army that you went with after Isengard, right? That's correct. Okay, so we'll dive into our profile reviews. It is a double feature with Thor and Thrain, and then we'll be going over three different lists, and you can find all of our lists on Facebook. Just search Into the West podcast, and should be able to find all three lists that we discussed in this episode, as well as uh, other content. So let's go into our first profile, which is Thror. Thror ruled with utter surety, never doubting his house would endure, for his line lay secure in the lives of his son and grandson. So Thror is from the Army of Thror army list, and he comes in at a base of 120 points, a hero of legend. He has a dwarf, airborne, infantry, and hero keyword. He's move 5, fight 6, strength 4, defense 9, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, courage 6, 3 might, 3 will, and 1 fate. He comes with heavy dwarf armor, sword, shield, and the Arkenstone. So the Arkenstone allows him to pass fate on a 3+, plus, and when he makes fate rolls, if the roll is a 4 or better, there's no need to expend the fate point. So he can potentially have multiple fate rolls, even though he only has one fate point. For heroic actions, he has heroic strike, heroic strength, and heroic challenge. And he can also upgrade any amount of Grim Hammers and his Warband into Guardians of the King, which are strength four instead of three, for one point each. He also carries the Ring of Durin, which allows him to re-roll priority once per game. If the army includes Durin, then he cannot carry the Ring of Durin. So... Let's let Marco go first today with your experience with this profile. All right, so I'd like to preface that my experience is not a reflection of how good this character is as a whole. Uh, he's... Yes, yes it is. Marco is speaking <laughs> on behalf of all Dwarf players. Listen okay, out. Was, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Four plus is not 50% of the time, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I think uh, if I understand correctly, Alex is and Alex of this podcast is notoriously unlucky when it comes to dice rolls, and I think I have some of that bloodline in me because I am not a lucky gentleman when it comes to dice rolls. So that's my experience as well with that. It's like <laughs> first roll, it's always like a two, and it's just oh, so upsetting. <laughs> you know what? That's that's just the way it is, and let me tell you. I would rather have this than three fate. It makes it interesting. It makes him like this guy is a brick wall. Like uh, he's just so hard to get through. He's such a safe choice for your leader. He's he's got it all. Like his stumpy short legs, five inches of movement. He goes as fast as he needs to. No more, no less. Uh, you know, three attacks. He has uh, great heroic actions, strike strength. He doesn't need heroic defense. Like he's defense nine, courage six. He's just a, he's got everything you're looking for in in the you know prototypical dwarf hero. Hard to get rid of. 
and just he can just come up against anything and probably come out of it alive at least for a couple rounds. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. He has a great stat line, but I want to add that in line with a lot of the Hobbit leaders that we we've talked about in the past, a lot of these army bonuses are centered around the leader. So similarly, in this army list, the army bonus is that all Erebor dwarves count as being in range of a banner if Thor is within six inches. So this is this is pretty incredible, right? Generally, when we rate profiles, I think Ian has said that he doesn't like giving like 10 out of 10 um, or like really high marks unless there's like a buff to the surrounding troops, even if the stat line is really good. So, I, I mean, six inch banner is... It's almost unkillable banner, like... Good luck in getting rid of that that rerolls for all models within six inches. It's he's so good. Yeah, and he could be prone, he could be paralyzed, then it's still going on. So yeah, because it's a banner effect rather than a banner. Yeah, and plus I, he's uh he's pretty cheap for uh, for how like good his stats are, and I don't know. I think for being such a, a good leader, you kind of always want to take him if you're going pure. I think he's almost an auto include. I, yeah, 100% agree with that. Like, if you are getting the army bonus, there's, like, no reason not to take him unless you're going for, like, a super-themed list, like, right after he dies and before Thrain goes crazy. (laughs) It's that good, especially when you factor in the bonus. And then, like you guys have said, he's just a very solid, reliable hero to be as your leader. And personally, in my experience, even though, like, we said the biggest weakness is he can't be mounted, I'm honestly not opposed to that, because whenever I run him, he's quite easy to keep, fairly easy to keep safe, because he's he's got the small base, and he just sits in the infantry line, and he's, like, the D9 is just, it's so hard to get through, unless you're just, like, that one random Moran orc, right, Alex? Was it Richard? It was one of you two. <laughs> I, don't, I think I think I've done it once. I think it probably was a random Moran orc, just, just statistically speaking, based on my army breakdown. Uh, but I mean, I'm just looking right now because I got curious and I wanted to stare at the profile of Thror up against the profile of Durin in the Kingdom of Khazad-dûm army list. Base stat line is identical. Being able to upgrade his troops to Hearthguard, whereas Thror's upgrade get plus one to strength, which is really useful because your base troops are usually three. But ultimately, what this comes down to for me is that if you're looking for one or the other, they have very similar stat lines. But overall, Thror is the centerpiece just because of the 40-point difference. He's more affordable, and his upgrade to the troops around him is cheaper. It really, I think, allows you to fill out the army a bit better. And the army bonus is just, like, for me... If there needs to be a tipping point, a six inch banner, like we've talked so many times about how important banners are, especially in dwarf armies where you typically don't get spear supports or you don't have cavalry to get a six inch banner that is re-wound defense nine model. Fantastic. I mean, this list does have spear supports, but yeah. I think, um, and, and I know this isn't a Iron Hills episode. But I really think that the army of Thror was written as a foil to the Iron Hills. And specifically, you can look at Thror and our boy Dane as just like, you know, like the jam to your peanut butter. Like they're just 
it's so hard in my opinion when I'm making a list and it'll come up later where you don't bring a thrower to keep your Dane in check. Like if you run Dane in a list, you put thrower in there and like you make thrower the leader and now your Dane can go do whatever he wants because he's just going to mangle things. And I think that's where thrower's real strength is like, yeah, sure. You can buff up one strength to the uh, grim hammers. Yeah. He's has technically unlimited fate and can live forever. It's not going to happen, but it might. And yeah, like he's defense nine, but when you throw him in, like into the context of uh, the Hobbit armies and that ally matrix as a whole, like that's where he really shines because he's just that rock that you can always rely to be there. He's <laughs> he's that emotional support you need when you're running real slow and the other armies on the other side of the board shooting at you, but Thor is going to be there for you. So... On the point of, like, the, the, the fate, like, yeah, I agree. Like, it's not very likely that you're going to get more than, like, a couple of fate rolls in a game unless you're saving, like, all your might for that. But the defense nine is honestly fantastic. Like, it, it's to the point where your defense is so high, it's almost like the Gil-Galad thing, where, like, you put him into another hero and you just choose not to strike because, like, like for example, Gil-Galad, you're not going to strike because your fight value is so high. With this guy, you're just not going to strike because your defense is so high. If you lose the fight, you're not, like, that concerned about taking wounds if it's just, like, a one-on-one kind of situation. I mean, provided they're not, like, lanced up heavy cavalry, but it's that good. Like, you, you don't need to strike up to, to, to still do things. And he can occupy hero's time very effectively, especially because he can shield if he wants to and get six dice. It's, it is handy. In terms of ranking out of ten, like, honestly, after all, like, what, what we've said, like, I, I think in a pure list... He's a ten, or like a green alliance list. He's a ten because like there really isn't in that context there isn't a reason you wouldn't take him in my opinion. Once you get into like the yellow alliances and you lose the banner bonus, then I think he probably drops down a few rankings. But like Richard was saying earlier, he kind of ticks like a lot of the boxes that I have. And then when you combine that with the fact he's only 120 points, like I think I have to sit in with that. Yeah. Yeah, I probably probably go with the nine one thing that hasn't been mentioned is that the guardians of the king upgrade it gives the grim hammer strength four so with piercing strike that would go up to strength five it can crack like defense seven armies with, with strength five so i really like that and also it synergizes with thorin's call to arms too so you can have that strength six for one turn which is pretty scary and Grimhammers can also bash, so the plus one strength also helps them when they bash as well. So it's kind of a buff to two different special strikes for one point. <laughs> so I, I'm actually really happy you brought this up. I, I wanted to talk about that. I don't know about know, the rest of you guys. I know what's coming. But um, <laughs> So lead up, first of all, whenever I take Thror, like part of the thing is like if I'm going to take Thror... It's going to be the pure alliance. I'm going to get the banner roll, and I'm going to take as many Grim Hammers as I can and give them the strength four, and I call them Grim-er Hammers. Grim-er Hammers, because I think it's worth it, like, every time. Like you said, just getting the strength four base, getting the option to go up to the strength five on your frontline units, even if you don't have, like, the extra bonus from Thorin, is fantastic. And then combine just, like, with their weapons loaded, like, they do have the two-handed weapons, so they can do even more damage. They can bash, which is handy. I'll get into that in a second. But it also gives them a non-lethal strike. So I've had it in games like where you just you need to like not kill things, and normally that's an issue with these elite troops that are like just made for killing. But these guys just go, okay, I'll bash you, knock you over, and go do something else for a turn. Very handy. Also, bash 
on a strength four troop type that can get plus one because they can go two-handed and get the plus one from that is actually really good against monsters and heroes if you can pull it off surprisingly so I played a game with Richard a week or two weeks ago now, as of recording, and I had some Army of Thor units, and he had his Watcher in the Water. And I got Thrain and, like, one Grimhammer were fighting the Watcher in the Water. And we were, like, figuring out our dice. I, I think I'd managed to bubble wrap him so he couldn't get the uh, those damn bat swarms in, so, like, I actually could strike up and win the fight. So I was like, okay, I'm going to strike up with Thrain. And I had this one Grimhammer sitting there, I'm like, what do I do with him? Like, I could maybe get a wound... I'm going to try and bash. Let's look up what bash. Let's see how it works. We talked about it a lot on the podcast. we got to use it. Won the fight. Rolled the dice to bash. Boop. Watcher flips over on his side because of the Grim Hammer. And then Thrain did like four wounds to him and got him down to half wounds. It's crazy. I mean, and the Watcher was on the ground for the rest of the game. Yeah, I think so. For, yeah, for the, like the next three turns. I was lucky with priority, but I managed to keep him pinned down. It actually was like... It kind of, it's kind of where the game, like, I was taking tons of casualties up until that point. It kind of gave me the respite I needed to kind of, like, start actually doing things. This exact combat amazes me, because from the moment Ian said, Richard had the Watcher and I had a Grim Hammer, I was like, <laughs> you did not knock the Watcher prone. There is but, no way. Dude, that's the thing, is, like, I, when I, went, I went back, like, that day when we were playing and I was rereading through the rules, and I was like, there's no way you should be able to, like, I couldn't believe you could bash monsters, but, like, you definitely can. And when you have something like Strength 4 with the plus 1, the odds of doing it aren't actually that bad. Because, in this case, the Watcher is Strength 6, I'm Strength 4 with plus 1 to wound, and on a tied roll, the Watcher gets bashed. So I only have to roll one higher than whatever he rolls, and the Watcher gets knocked over. And that's like, not that hard. Yeah, and, like, honestly, like, it's crazy how good that is, because a lot of these monsters, like, multiple wounds, like, the Watcher had six wounds. It's like, doing the extra wound is going to do nothing for you. But then, bashing him to the ground probably won you the game. Even if you need to get a little bit lucky, like, it is a dice game, so you play those odds, and if you can get it, then it might just swing in your favor. So, that was a good move. Honestly... I'm just happy that something we talked about on the podcast actually like had some real world value and we've kind of proven it a little bit now. Because <laughs> I remember when we were recording that episode, we're like, oh, this is really good. This is really good. And none of us have talked about using it since then. <laughs> something that people haven't noticed. And so for those listening, I'm not the most incredible player. I, I like to think some of my skills carried over from the other games I've played. But strength for throwing weapons as well. Is that how it works? Like, it adds one to strength of the model, and so the throwing weapons are also now at strength four as well. Is that correct? No. No, no. It's all okay. strength three. Oh, okay. Strength Either way, they're looking real buff while they're throwing the weapons. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's still good. I still like the throwing weapons on them. It actually it gives them much-needed ranged in the list, like a little bit of a skirmishing ability. But we're not talking about grub hammers. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sitting at a nine for a thrower. He has a lot of utility, and he's pretty cheap at 120. I probably include him in almost every list, so. When I look at the profile, and I look at what it does for the entire army, and what Roar individually is capable of, what I do is I make the comparison to all the main heroes of the Kazadoom list. I look at it, and I'm like, you can do more than every hero in that list, with the exception of perhaps King's Champion in certain ways. That's it. And then I look at the price point, I'm like, he is honestly the affordable centerpiece hero that is the perfect balance of what I think in Kazadoom I wish I had 
definitely better than Duran, and then definitely better than Ballin, and only 10 points more. It's fantastic. He doesn't need March, because you're sure to take a hero that will have March. For that reason, I think he's also a solid 9. I've killed him a few times, but only because I've completely swamped him in positions he can't get out of. All right. So I, I like to think I'm pretty hypercritical. And so as much as I love Thor, uh, something we actually didn't talk about is this sculpt is awesome. Such a cool looking model. Tons of detail, super easy to paint. It just looks good realistically, no matter what you do to him with a grain of salt. As I said, in a vacuum, I'd put him actually a little lower than I would inside the context. I'd probably give him, I can't believe I'm saying this, probably a 7.5 with five being average and 10 being the best. So it's not like that school grade where 50% is a five and it's a fail. No, this is like seven and a half, really, really solid. But when you throw them into the green alliances in the context of other Hobbit armies and, and all of that, I think that bumps him up to a 10 because as I mentioned, he just, he just turns into that rock. The, once a game priority reroll is like a mini Saruman. It's not incredible, but you know, dwarves already move pretty slow. It's just a nice little thing they've thrown into the army as a whole to kind of give you that chance of giving you that priority when you need it to make up for your slow movement. It's pretty cool uh, that they implemented that. And uh, he's just, yeah, 10 out of 10 in a green list, 7.5 out of 10 in Army of Thor as an individual army. Yeah, the only thing I think he's missing is, and this is probably going to make him too powerful, I actually, uh, a counterpoint to Alex, is I actually would give him March. It just makes sense to me that a king, especially one that like fights alongside his army, like Elisar, if I understand them in the context of the story, is they're fighting alongside their people. They should have March because they're leading the troops. That's the only thing I'd really change. Yeah, we talked about his strengths. We talked about his weaknesses. I don't know if I'd change anything. I just, I'm happy with giving him that seven and a half. Yeah. I mean, I would love a march on him, but uh, <laughs> that would make him too good, in my opinion. That would be an instant 10. I think for me, it would be, he would be around like a 8.5 or a 9. I mean, Ian was saying that he's one of the heroes that you don't really need a mount on, which is true, but... Just imagine him on a pig. Yeah, you would do it. You would do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so oh, yeah. I guess, like, that speaks to, you know, as good as he is, he still has some issues with, like, killing power. He doesn't have, like, any of the plus one to wound. He's just strength four. So he's good, but, you know, he has he has his faults. So, yeah, I would say maybe a nine. Yeah, I think I'm also going to agree with Marco. Yeah, if you take it, Outside of like a peer list, I'd probably give him like a seven ish, I think, because that banner reroll is, is huge. It really helps hold the army together. I um, mean, I mean, if we're going to take a yellow alliance, an you lose the army bonus, I would argue we would take the next guy we're going to talk about. Exactly. Transition. <laughs> Nailed <profile>. it. <laughs> so the next profile is Thrain, his son. And Thrain is also from the Army of Thor army list. He's also 120 points base. Dwarf, Erebor, Infantry, and Hero keywords. It's a Hero Valor. Move 5, Fight 6, Strength 4, Defense 8, 3 Attacks, 3 Wounds, Courage 6, 3 Might, 3 Will, and 3 Fate. He has Heavy Dwarf Armor and a Master Forge Two-Handed Hammer. Heroic Actions, he has 
heroic strike and heroic defense. Strangely, he doesn't have heroic strength, which you would think that he's like the the more buff one. He should have it instead of Thor. But anyway, if your army does not include Durin or Thor, then Thrain carries the Ring of Durin. Like we talked about, it lets you reroll priority once again. And he has two other special rules. First is Durin's heir. His standfast affects all dwarf models on the battlefield, including heroes, battlefield-wide. His second special rule is Blood Feud. Thrain rerolls all fail-to-wound rolls when making strikes against Azog and any model in the same army as him. Uh, let's have Richard start first. I just find it funny that he has a rule called Durin's Heir, but then his father does not. I don't know. I think this guy, he's he's more of a simple profile. He has less gimmicks, but he's just kind of a beat stick. What can you really say? Like the three attack, three wounds, and then threes for a might will fate, and he has like a plus one to wound. He's just solid all around. You don't get him to be the leader or for the buffs like you do for Thror. You kind of get him just to like throw him at things to kill them. And being a hero Valor, you can also ally him into yellow lists. So if, if your army lacks a punch, you can kind of like just ally in Thrain and maybe with a couple guys or not. But he's there to kill, basically. And I would say he's quite reliable at, at doing that, honestly. On the uh, that Azog special rule, like I've never had that come up, but that actually seems like really, really good. There's no downsides to it, and like all of a sudden he's just like re-rolling wounds like crazy. Like he'll just become like a damage machine. Well, it's not really good because it's kind of a trap, to be honest, because Azog is a hero hunter, right? So you're only using this rule if your game plan has gone very, very wrong. <laughs> but it's against any other model in the same army as Azog. So yeah, if he's like oh. just to, Yeah, you just use him to pick so, on like smaller heroes and stuff, and he just he'll just delete them in like a turn. That includes armies allied in with Azog, too. It says any army, any models are in the same army. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, it says army. It doesn't say list. Yeah, so if Azog's just in the list, allied with whatever, he just gets re-rolls against them. Oh, ooh, that's actually better than I thought it was. To be fair, like, I don't think he's actually paying, like, any points in the profile for that special rule. Or maybe he is, but, like, I think the profile's solid enough either way. Like, you don't really worry about that. I mean, you have to play Azog in a tournament, but... When that happens, <laughs> you better hope. Watch out. <laughs> I, I feel like I've said this before. I'm, I'm like so positive at it, but like when I think of your standard dwarf hero, this is like the like the baseline. This is this is the guy that I think about. Threes everywhere, high defense, decent heroic actions, and he's got the plus one to wound, and he'll just he'll do his thing. And he's got a couple neat special rules that are actually fairly helpful for like buffing your army, to be honest. Yeah. He's <laughs> with his three fate and heroic defense, in some contexts, he's way harder to kill than Thror. He's just Ian put it so well. He's just like he's nothing fancy, he's nothing extravagant. He's just good. Like he's got all the high stats in the right places. Strength 4 is a little on the low side, but, you know, he's got a masterwork weapon, so he doesn't get his minus 1 for going two-handed. He's got Burly. Um, sorry, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Master 4. Yeah, 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 that's right. He does the same thing. Yeah. Same thing, yeah. He's just good, right? With strike and defense, this is the guy. If, like, I could put any amount on one single Dwarven hero, I'd put it on Thrain before I put it on Thror. He's killing stuff. That's what he does. He's just out there. He's putting his hammer in things' heads, 
and he's doing a good job. <laughs> Maybe he's a little boring, but that's totally okay. Uh, the model's pretty good. He's got his eyebrow up, so he's like, can you smell what the rock's cooking? And he is the rock's son, so, you know, it's family brunch. And, like, he's just good. Like, you can't go wrong. 120 points, yeah, he costs as much as Thror, but between the two of them and between, like, their alliance as a whole, their, their matrix, you really can't go wrong with either of them. If you want to brainlessly throw troops or heroes, drains your guy. That's just how I feel about him. I mean, I've seen Ian play both of them in the same list because it's more than doable. And, yeah, it works exactly the way we've described. Thror is the centerpiece that holds the line and gets a few things. Meanwhile, like, I'm wary of Thror's ability, but then I see Thrain coming, and it's like a grain cutter. I just see him coming, and I'm like, oh no. Like, it's like being tied to train tracks while there's a train coming. You're just like, there's no... There's no way out. Like, he's, he really is quintessential combat dwarf hero. And considering, once again, my comparison to things that happen in the, in the Khazad-Doom army list, in Khazad-Doom with Balin, way, way back in the early episodes of the show, we talked about Gimli and talked about what Gimli's shortfalls are, especially in, in the Khazad-Doom list. He has to pick between either three attacks or two attacks with Burley. And Thrain, for 20 more points gets an incredible standfast rule. He gets a situational but still relatively valuable when you're playing against evil hobbit armies. And then he just gets the three attacks with the burly. And then he gets the three wounds and three fate. It's and just like I that, uh... it just keeps rolling. Like it just keeps going and going and the only thing that the profile misses is heroic march. And it's just like Thror. If you give him March, it's too much. He's too good. That meme where it's like, look at what they need to mimic a fraction of our power. <laughs> Something uh, we didn't say is uh, that special stand fast is dwarf keyword. So if you're allying him in with Iron Hills, that's a special stand fast for them as well. I'm going to make a meme about this later because this is incredible. Honestly, like he doesn't miss anything. The biggest shortfall any of these heroes have is the fact that they're a, a five inch move base. So they're difficult to maneuver or to get across to objectives. But aside from that, they're just fantastic. I'll give him a nine again. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna change my score on Thor. I'm gonna put him in line with my opinion of Thrain. I'm gonna put them both at eight. I like playing as with Thor more, but an eight. Like they're just the most solid eight you've ever seen. I think it's pretty hard to argue that if you're building army of Thor after you take Thor, you would take Thrain. Not just because he's such good value for 120 points, but because, you know, Hero Valor, it, it, he also has the Warband space, as we'll discuss later in the lists. Army of Thor is really, like, they can actually spam out and get your numbers up. So part of the reason is because of Thrain, able to provide those extra three slots and just being a really good second individual threat at, at lower points. So, uh, yeah, I agree that he should be rated about the same as Thor. So I'd probably give him a nine as well. Not much to add agree with you guys they're about the same i think thrower is better in a pure list or a green list where you have the army bonus and then thrain is better value when you lose the bonus and you ally so i guess if you balance that out i guess it depends on what kind of list you take but overall i would say they're the same i think for him what i'm at is i'm gonna give him an 8.5 
but that's like a more consistent 8.5 like where i gave throw the higher score with the army bonus and then like fairly lower without it this guy he's just like constant yeah just very solid 8.5 i think okay let's jump into our first army list of the day and that list will be from me and it's essentially just what we talked about how you take Thor and Thrain together in kind of a lower points army. And this army is really built for this points level, and that's 600 points. So I have Thor as the leader, and in his warband, he has eight Guardians of the King and two Warriors of Erebor with spears and shields. In the second warband, I have Thrain leading six Warriors of Erebor with shield and four Warriors of Erebor with spear and shield. And then I have a Captain of Erebor with shield, leading five Warriors of Erebor with shield and four Warriors of Erebor with spear and shield. So that comes to 32 models and eight might. So I kind of balanced my numbers roughly equally between the three warbands, 10, 10, and 9. The list kind of writes itself with the two warrior profiles. It's not a list with shooting or cavalry, so... It's just stacking up on cheap, high-defense warriors and kind of just getting into combat as soon as possible. And because that is my battle plan, I needed that Captain of Erebor for the Heroic March. And yeah, so the list is kind of just... We've described the heroes and what they do, and this is exactly what the game plan is. So Thor is a really solid leader, especially at 600 points. Thrain is probably the main killer of the list. And with eight Guardians of the King, I have some throwing weapons and some strength four in the list and decent amount of spears to back them up. So it, sh it should form a pretty strong battle line and it can grind out just turn after turn while Thrain does the killing. And I guess Thor can pack a punch as well. So that's that's pretty much it. So... I actually almost find Thror to be a more consistent killer than Thrain because Thror basically every turn just goes into like one troop or two troops, whereas Thrain is like you always have him going after like the big bad monsters or big bad heroes because he's not your leader and he can do the damage. I don't know, it's kind of funny, but even though he doesn't have the plus one wound, I do find him like more consistent than just bunching troops because of like how he ends up being played. As for the list itself, honestly, I think I really agree with you. Like, 600 points is perfect for this kind of list. Like, if you go down to 500, you either lose the captain or you lose out on a ton of numbers. But, like, with this, you get you get everything you want, really, in this, like, with the heroes and, like, the numbers and just, like, the heroic actions. Like, getting the march in there is super important, especially when you don't have any way to close the distance other than that. Yeah, and I've, I've played with a list very, very similar to this. Just like a captain of Dale instead of like an airborne captain is basically the same list. And it is it is pretty decent. I've had a few games that it's it's pretty decent. It gets in there and there's just so much D7 and it's just so hard to grind through for the opponents. I uh, I really like this list. I think that I really enjoy that you balance the warbands. In random deployment games, I think that even if all three of your warbands end up on different sides of the board or just in different parts of the same side of the board, I'm not particularly worried about any of them, even if like like an LSR gets into them or or whatever, some crazy thing, they're going to hold out for a turn or two. So I think they're really good in that. The march was a superb choice. I think it's just mandatory. You need some march in there if you're running a slower army. And between Thor and Thrain, I think Ian's absolutely correct. 
if you tally up the models killed, I almost always have Thor with more kills because, yeah, he's just sitting there, just slowly pushing the line back further and further, the enemy's battle line. And then, you know, you're sending Thrain around, he's getting paralyzed, he's getting blocked, he's put into one warrior at a time, but people are throwing two at Thror, or you're running Thror into as many models as you can, he's, you know, he's killing one or two a turn. And that stacks up, and then all of a sudden, the whole enemy battle line is gone. The Captain of Erebor, just a great stat line. <laughs> he's like baby Thrain in terms of, like, he's just, uh, he's gonna do what he's gonna do. That's all there is to it. There's nothing fancy, and he's just tough, and he's good, and he's got March, and that's what his job is. So I, I really like this list. What would you uh, rate it? I would rate this list a hero of. Uh, see, I, I'm 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 real bad with uh, the <laughs> the Grim Hammers in general. Like I actually just have a hard time using them, and then paying for the upgrade to Strength Four, I like panic. Like, what do I do with all these limes? Why can't I hold all these limes? That's how I feel about them, and so I never do enough with them. <laughs> so, like, I wouldn't put the Guardians of the Kings, but I think you guys who are much stronger players and generals can do a lot more with this list. So I would definitely give it a high valor, if not a legend, because I love it so much, and I'm sure with any of your guys' capable hands, you can make this list go really far. I don't think the Guardians are good enough to be, like, auto-auto-takes, so I, I respect your opinion. Not everyone is going to like that profile. Yeah, I I really like this list. I mean, between Marco and Ian, I've played this list so many times. Honestly, like, it's a great beginner's list, too. Like, you don't need a PhD to play this. You march, and then you hit someone over the head with a hammer, and it works. But I think in regards to, like, minor tweaks, what I would say is you do have a little less spear ratio than I would like. So maybe I would take down, like, and convert to Guardians of the King, just so I have a few more points for spears, maybe three or four more spears for a more balanced ratio. But I like the numbers. I mean, above average at 600 points over the 30 mark. And all your guys are just going to be a pain to kill. This is this is an easy legend for me. Yeah, when we get around the 500, 600 point range, when you have like two or more really strong heroes, it's something that becomes really difficult to put a cap on as the opponent of that list with the smaller numbers. So I really like the hero choices. Something I've noticed in lists in this range too is also like sometimes you want to take all the big heroes, but ultimately you need to take one of them out in order to make sure you have the captain in there for march and mobility and that's never as true as it is with dwarf lists but in this case you manage to get all three i do like the guardians of the king upgrade on a good handful of your troops because i think the strength four becomes really necessary obviously most of your army is going to play defense to let the two big heroes really do the damage because you have the ability to sit back and play defense the worries I have with the army are things that you really can't control. You don't have any archery, which means you really do have to use the march. You've really got to get moving on that. That and just general mobility, which, of course, again, why you have the captain. Aside from that, I think it's a really fantastic list. I think it's one tough thing to crack after another. Like You, you just can't get through that. And that is going to be a really difficult list at 600 points to beat in a tournament. So I'm going to give it a legend as well. So after having like experience with a list that's almost identical to this, I, I think yeah, I have to agree with like everything you guys are saying. Yeah, I, I think my rating is probably at like a strong valor. 
But I don't think a 600-point list, like, using this army list could be built better. Like, I think it is it is really good. I'm just thinking about, like, mobility scenarios could be an issue. But, like, I could definitely see this winning tournaments, yeah. It is, it is very solid. The thing about the mobility issue is 32 models is kind of... For such a high defense army, it's pretty high. So I think in objective scenarios where you have to have one or two models on the other side of the board... I think I can afford to send off a couple of the dwarves. And with Thrain's battle-wise Danfast, I'm not really worried that they'll run late game. So I'm not saying that they're good at mobility scenarios, but I'm just saying that there are like things that you can do. I wouldn't feel like I'm completely hopeless in those situations. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, those are really good points. Yeah, uh, maybe a soft legend. I'm, I'm kind of torn, but I'm still, I still think I'm at like the high valid. But those are really good points, yeah, with the Thrain thing. Too. Fair enough. I do want to say, like, I think this list definitely can win tournaments, except the one time it almost happened for me, Foot Rohan OP, so it just didn't happen for me. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say, man? It is it is what it is. People don't know about it, and, and they fear it. <laughs> the next list we'll be going over will be from Marco, and it is going to be a historical alliance at 800 points. Marco, why don't you give us a breakdown of what's in the list and your general strategy? You got it. Let me pull it up right here. So, all right. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of shooting. I don't really like it. I like getting in there and hitting things with my hammer. And I don't have a PhD. So it adds up. (laughs) If this was an episode on Iron Hills, I would talk about the Ballista, but it's not. So, first warband is going to be Thor as leader with the Ring of Durin. Eight warriors, Verber with Spear and Shield. And then 10 warriors with just shield. So that's a maxed out warband. Really basic. Really no bells and whistles there. And then following that is you have Dane Ironfoot with Warbore. His warband is one Iron Hill warrior with banner and shield, 11 Iron Hill warriors with shield and spear, and then one Iron Hill goat rider with spear. My third warband is an Iron Hills captain. Such an incredible profile, but once again, not an Iron Hills podcast. He's on a goat. He's got a war spear. And then he is leading six Iron Hill warriors with spear and shield for a total of 37 warriors, 40 models at 800 points. And this is, of course, my opinion. When you put Army of Thror in with Iron Hills, your main contribution is Thror as a leader and troops. Cheap, high defense, really basic, strong troops. That's why there's 18 of them. Uh, the Ring of Durn is great for the priority reroll, and then you have 18 models with a banner within six inches, and it's really easy to get all 18 of those warriors, unless you know something crazy happens within six inches, or at least enough of them to make a difference. Then you have Dane, who is not your leader, on his boar, and he's just destroying things, anything. Just don't let him kill one random camel rider and then chase that model around the board. He will have to chase around faster cavalry, so don't fall into that trap. Put him in a line um, and let him do his work. He does have a banner, so you don't have to just kind of deploy all together. I know Thror's banner doesn't affect Iron Hills, but uh, that's why the banner's in there. You give him a shield, he's nice and tough. 11 warriors with shield and spear. Don't take Maddox, guys. Just don't do it. And the goat riders there, you can support Dane with a second cavalry model. He can do anything. Like, you run him onto an objective, you run him over a giant boulder that your slow doors will never go around. It's really nice. 
And then the last one's really simple. It's just a small warband for your march, as every dwarf army needs a march. You got a goat on him, so he's fast. You can also support Dane, and he's got six warriors with spear and shield with him. There's no shooting. This isn't a fancy list. Uh, it's got a march, it's got some goats, it's got a pig, and it's gonna get in your face as fast as it can, and it's gonna try to get every inch and, and win the game by staying around longer than you want it to. I like it. It's, it's got a healthy number and some really great heroes. Like you said, the Iron Hills captain is really good on a goat. And you have two heroes with potential master of battle, so potential basically free heroic actions. That's pretty scary. I understand some players don't like shooting, but I feel like at 800 points, if you have them in your list as options, I still think it might be good to take three or four crossbows. I don't know if the other guys agree. I mean, you do have three mounted models, so it's not too bad. It's just if you had to march up to the enemy and use two of your might on that, I personally would probably take a few crossbows, but... I like pretty much everything else about the list. I think that Dane is going to be a pretty big threat, and then the Iron Hills captain will be kind of like the secondary threat that people might not suspect because he's a captain, but with War Spear and the Devastating Charge, it's, you know, they're actually really good combat heroes as well. And then, of course, the Thor. And then you've also got the double banner effects, uh, the banner and the banner effects. So probably give this a Hero of Valor for me. So... I just, the reason why, uh, and I, I don't think, this is of course my opinion, and you guys are much more experienced than me, um, if I was going to put crossbows into this list, I feel like uh, just putting in, let's say, a few, let's say three or four into this list, isn't enough to be bringing them towards me, and because they're crossbows, those models aren't moving. Yeah, it wouldn't help you in every game, but if your opponent has zero shooting and you had three bows that's enough to bring them to you. It's true, um, it's true. And even if they kind of just walk with your army for half your games and they don't shoot, in those one or two games where your opponent has no shooting, you technically win the shoot war. Yeah, and, and also, like, there's scenarios like breakthrough, uh, domination, where you have to stand on objectives, or recon, storm the camp, where just whenever the armies are really far apart, you can position them in the way where... Even when combat starts, you're going to get angles to shoot down supports and just take random pot shots. And if you're going to have them stand on an objective anyway, they might as well be doing something rather than a 12-point Iron Hills dwarf that's doing nothing, right? Because that's a pretty expensive tax. I'm just going to say I definitely uh, am a fan of always having just a small handful in there. You are right. Crossbows are harder to maneuver because you have to move them in a way where... You can find the turns where they can move and you don't need to shoot, and then the turns where they stand still and you do shoot. Having three, four, I, of course, always edge up towards about half a dozen. Yeah, that's the only thing I really look at this army and say this is missing. But aside from that, I still think uh, it's a hero of valor. Honestly, I think the biggest strength in this list is actually, like, it has some redundancy. And, and well, durability, obviously, because you got, like, 40 models that are all, like, defense 7+, plus, which is crazy that's like a lot of guys you don't expect that many dwarves that even even at 800 with uh with that many iron hills you don't really expect the numbers to be that high so there's there's like redundancy i mean in the fact that you actually have two marches because dane actually has march as well obviously you don't really want to be using his might for it but you can do it so if you have to split up your army you can still kind of move decently fast in two different sections and that's the same thing with having the um 
the banner on the Iron Hills things. It means you can just plonk Thor's warband down, and he can just sit there in the middle of the table and keep the chunk of enemies busy while Dane goes off and does something else. Yeah, I think I agree with the guys. Maybe a couple of crossbows would be nice, just because you probably will end up with a chance that you're going to have a few guys sitting around doing nothing in some games, but you don't 100% need it. I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah, I think it's, it's a solid hero of valor for me, yeah. I feel bad. I feel like I, sh- I should have brought my other list now because it's got lots of shooting, but it's okay, guys. I, I won't change for you. Yeah, I, I really like this list. Like, I get where there's, like, weaknesses, but we talked about Thor not being able to ride anything, but then he just calls his cousins, you know, who can ride mounts, and, you know, it's really scary. And, I mean, I've played a lot of Iron Hills myself in the past, and to get that amount of numbers is pretty incredible. And you're looking at the heroes, and they're all threats, especially considering, like, even the captain, you know, mounted with a war spear. And, like, the normal troops are just going to do work. So I honestly don't think any army is going to be able to outfight this list, like, once combat is engaged. So, yeah, I honestly think you're just going to slightly struggle in mobility ones. But I also think it's underrated because you do have, like, the goats and you have double march. So I think, honestly, you are pretty equipped for anything. So... I would give this, like, a soft legend, you know? Like, I will say, like, it does take a bit more nuance than you think. You gotta be, okay, not a PhD, but, you know, you gotta have a few more brain cells than Charles's list. I'm changing the list, sorry, can't do it. (laughs) I just had a thought, what if instead of allying Thor, he allied in Thrain? You know, he loses the banner effect, but it's kind of almost like an Iron Hills list, but then you ally in Thrain for cheap numbers. And then Ishtarain is, like, your second hitter. I kind of like what Marco's going for here, though, because then Dane would be the leader, right? And Dane, as tough as he is, you can get sneak in a wound on him because that guy's not leaving combat, right? He's forced into it, actually, once he engages. So I actually do like the Thror pick. And, I mean, like we said, like, the banner effect is pretty good. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing that we, we didn't actually mention is if you're fighting something that, like, is kind of maybe mostly defense 5, defense 6, you don't need Thor in there, like, kind of to help do some doing chip damage on troops. He can almost get his points back just by sitting back and not in combat and just giving the banner effect to all those Eridor warriors. It's it's almost like the Suladan thing where, like, you're not jazzed that he's not in there killing stuff, but you also you're not mad because he's still contributing to your army, like, significantly. So I think... I think the Thror build in this way, in this sense, is better just because that banner is so big. But it would be an interesting point to have Thrain in there. It would be interesting. My opinion is if you were going to get rid of Thror, I wouldn't put Thrain in. I'd put, I'd cut the numbers. I'd put Young Dwalin in there and then put a couple crossbows into one of the other warbands. Dwalin's pretty good in combat. Dane's going to have to be the leader anyways, no matter who else you put in there. Might as well cut down some numbers, get some points back for a cheaper hero, and get some crossbows in to fill in those gaps, right? Uh, by by Young Dwalin, you mean Young Thor, and then, yeah, that's, nope. that's correct. Sorry. <laughs> nope. Doesn't have head tattoos, doesn't count. So that was our historical alliance list. Our last list of the day will be from Ian, and it's going to be a convenient alliance. So 
Yeah, I never got a chance to uh, revise this list. I kind of had like some like an idea in my head and I got it down. I was like, yeah, I like this. I might kind of revise it later. Then I went camping and we shifted up the recording day and I was like, sure, good enough. Um, but overall, I'm actually I'm, I'm pretty happy with this. I think it's got some uh, good legs to stand on. So anyway, this is uh, kind of the concept we were talking about where if you're going to go outside of the uh, the Green Alliance, you don't you don't go for Thor, you go for Thrain instead. So my first warband is Thrain, and he's leading seven Grimhammers. My second warband is an Erebor Captain with Shield, and he's leading eight Erebor Warriors with Shield. And my third warband is Legolas with the Horse. Yeah, Richard, I needed the points. No Orcris. <laughs> and he's got eight Mirkwood Warriors with Glaive. One Mirkwood Warrior with Glaive, Shield, and Banner. One Mirkwood Cavalry with Shield. And five Mirkwood Warriors with Bow. And then my last Warband is Radagast with Sebastian and a horse. So basically, I was thinking, like, I wanted to try and get a Magic Caster in there. Because Dwarves can tend to struggle to pull enemies towards them. And Magic, like, is very capable of doing that. So initially, I was thinking maybe, like, Saruman. I was really strapped for points, so I didn't go for him. I went for Radagast instead, which I'm honestly not mad about because I don't think this army is going to take many casualties once combat hits because the defense of your front line is so high and because of the knockover ability, I think it's actually like quite solid. And then I have like other tools. I got like the Mirkwood Warriors in there with the bow so they can go sit on objectives. I got the cavalry in there if I need somebody to run off the board. Uh, Legolas just great utility hero he brings a second strike in there he's not bad on the horse yeah what do you guys think the radagast pick is kind of what i'm a little dubious on but i'm not mad about it because i think he makes a very comfortable general especially with the setup with sebastian and the horse and that kind of allows thrain and legos can go off and like do some fighting if they have to i'm not so sure about the radagast pick not because i don't think it would help your army but just like synergy wise i don't know how much he would bring but I was wondering, what if you swap Radagast and the Captain and threw in Thranduil? Oh, no, wait, you wouldn't get the army bonus. Because I was thinking it would just kind of make your killing power even higher. And then it will also give you the aura of Dismay that Radagast would have given you. But since you don't have the army bonus, then maybe not. But what about Guahir instead of Radagast? They're about the same points. Because I'm just thinking, like, he's like a support hero that kind of has specific spells for a specific list. And like he said, Saruman would be much better, I think, but also more expensive. So I'm just thinking whether at the Radagast points range, what if there is a better option? I kind of agree with Charles because um, the way I see it, Radagast, like, yeah, he has his um, Or of Dismay, the Nature's Wrath, but then also Panic Steed, which is a bit redundant with Legolas. I don't mind the Guaihir pick, but I do think Saruman probably complements this list better if you're going to go Wizard, because I don't think Legolas and five Mirkwood Bows guarantee winning like the shoot-off, but maybe if you add in a Saruman, that helps a lot more too. And that allows you to play a bit more of a castle strategy, if that's what you're going for. Well, you know what I just thought of is you could swap Legolas for Haldir and then like change out the the Mirkwood guys for um for Lothlorien. It's pretty much a one-to-one swap. And then you you have enough points to get Saruman or just about, yeah. I'm not sure if that's better because I do really like the Legolas pick, but I think it could be better with that. The sad thing about Radagast is he unfortunately doesn't have command. And I think 
command goes so well with a with like a big beat stick. That was my initial thinking, yeah. When I was when I was first trying to draft up like the concept was getting, yeah, just get somebody to pull in guys just to bonk them on the head with Thrain. But that being said, I don't have that ability. But once I get into combat, there's a decent chance whoever Thrain is fighting is going to be on their bum anyway because of Radagast, which makes him more defensive and also increases his damage output, right? More defensive in the, in the sense that if he loses the fight, he's just he's not going to get hit. I mean, yeah. Okay, well, I'll still sit out of Valor. I think even though Radagast doesn't synergize super well, it's it brings a lot of utility. Like you said, your defense, your battle line is going to be pretty strong as, as it is, and also decent hitting power. So I'll, I'll sit on the Valor for this one. Uh, I hate elves. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That's your review. Uh, I hate elves. Uh, but I actually really like this list and here's why uh i'm just recalling your guys episode with the with matt quick on radagast the brown and something that's not on his profile is no one has any idea what radagast the brown does no one has any idea who this guy is what he does you can explain it to the person across from you and they're gonna look at you and be like okay and he's not spectacular but no one knows what he does and so that's a huge strength He's underestimated or overestimated. It really depends on the opponent. And yeah, he's 165 points for the changes from, you know, if the person knows what he does and what he doesn't do. But I really like it. A, it makes the list more interesting. Um, and that's always big points. Yeah, if you're playing in a tournament where there is overall points for theme, performance as in general, and then paint scheme, Radagast model is way cooler than Saruman's. Uh, Radagast is not brought all that often. It's just fun to see him. And even if he's like a step lower, all those points you're going to get for style are going to do better for you in the long run and in a tournament, in my opinion. Uh, and Sebastian's always a cool pick. Uh, I really like this list. Uh, I would put it at a soft legend uh, because I don't know any better. <laughs> so that's just what I'm gonna go for. I really like it. I think it's got it's got everything you need. It's got shooting. It's got cavalry. It's got magic. It's got tough dwarves. It's got uh, it's it's just good. It's just good. I'll definitely take that. <laughs> Marco, I love what you're saying here, but this is not a themey list. Let's not lie to anyone. This is this is Phil right here. It's a thin film of of cleanness. <laughs> Don't you remember the time the elves invited a whole bunch of dwarves to Merkwood to have a party? <laughs> and, and Radagast the Brown. Yeah. <laughs> it's the filth. It's the brown. Yeah. I yeah, I think it kind of works. You added, like, nice pieces, and it all comes together. You know, like, Radagast, like uh, Marco said, he, he can be surprising, especially with Sebastian. Like, that's a three-attack hero on the charge for a wizard. So... It's quite nice. I think, yeah, it would be a solid Valor for me. Honestly, I've spent the last, like, five, ten minutes just trying to, like, properly wrap my head around the list. Just because there's so many different little aspects to it. It's not like a standard alliance list. Uh, I've got to agree with Marco in that the Radagast pick sometimes almost has a strategic advantage in, in that it's not taken as frequently. So even when I'm looking at it right now, I'm trying to remember what Radagast does. I'm like, what is it exactly that makes him useful yet different from uh, a Gandalf or a Saruman? I'm, I'm going to give it a Valor. 
One thing that I did forget to mention at the start is I actually think Radass kind of synergizes well with the Grimhammers just because the Grimhammers have throwing weapons and he has the Aura of Dismay. So depending on how well the Courage tests work for your opponent, if they're charging in, you can either, if they charge it a few guys, you can swamp them and then the rest of them can throw axes. Um, obviously I don't have a ton of Grim Hammers in this list, so I think maybe if, if I could, if I had the chance to like rework it a bit, maybe I could throw in a lot more Grim Hammers and I think that strategy would work better, but yeah, that, that would be interesting to try if you could. I'd argue that even with that, you don't need more Grim Hammers. I think seven with throw weapons is, is a pretty solid number. You know, you've got a pretty good balance there. Although of course this is coming from someone who's brought about all foot Rohan being an actual thing that just shows up at our tournaments and that we're afraid of. And I've seen what mastering weapons can do. So, again, play this list sometime. Play around with it. I want to see what happens. All right. Let's move on to our open topic of the day, which is things that we like about the game. today we will be discussing various things that we enjoy about this game system and i think marco is the perfect guest to join us on this topic since he's played in a number of other systems and can kind of share your experience with us but we'll also be kind of just going over things certain aspects of the game that we particularly enjoy whether it's compared to other games or just from our experience in middle earth svg like our favorite parts of it so Marco, do you want to kind of kick us off and kind of share what it is about this game that stands out to you compared to other games you play in the past that you particularly find interesting or that you enjoy a lot? Yeah, I I would love to. I'm super passionate about this topic. Uh, I do this in all in all aspects of my life across video games, across sports, across. I love thinking why am I enjoying this so much or why am I not enjoying this. And so my kind of credentials on this topic are my range of games I mentioned earlier, at least from GW, is I've played Warhammer Fantasy Battle, I've played uh, Age of Sigmar, I've played uh, Warhammer 40k, I dabbled in like the uh, sort of specialist games, I've played, yeah, like so that's Warcry, uh, the 40k skirmish, I can't remember what it's called now, so I apologize for anyone that plays that. Uh, but outside of Games Workshop, I've played Malifaux. Uh, I've played Corvus Spelli's Infinity. I, I've really tried a bunch of things, and every single game has strengths and weaknesses. Some have more, some have less. And the thing, I actually have like a 2,000-word document on my phone here while I'm home on the bus just talking about things I like. My big thing is it's a skirmish game. And not only is it a skirmish game, is it's not really bogged down in super specific unit rules. In general, the game has a small number of unit lists outside of armies like Mordor or Moria or Isengard. Um, and I don't dabble in very much on the good side other than dwarves. They have maybe one troop and a few heroes, and one of those is a generic captain. Like, it's not overwhelming. You don't have 50 different models 
choices with 50 different weapon loadouts that all function completely different that are changed by special army rules that are updated every two months with new books or overall FAQ changes, right? It's like a basic warrior is going to have one more defense or one less defense or you know, you add a shield and like everyone knows what a shield does. You add an axe, you know, everyone knows what an axe does. So it's really simple in that regard. And what it really boils down to is how you want to play the game. Do you like running in and attacking stuff? Okay, I'm going to bring less bows. Do you like playing keep away? Okay, I'm going to bring more bows. That's that part. And then you go down to individual unit equipment. And I don't mean to call out Warhammer 40k. It's just that's the game I went uh, I was the most competitive in and actually did the best in. Um, it's really frustrating playing against opponents because you really had to learn and read other army books. And there's army books and there's different names for different weapons that do special things like they explode on sixes, which is, for example, they cause more wounds if you roll a six. And so you are just relying on the opponent to basically tell you as much information at the start of the game unless you're doing your research. In SBG, a bow is a bow. 99% of the time, it's going to shoot one shot at strength two or strength three. And like, that's that. It's not going to be some magical bow unless it's wielded by like Legolas, who has deadly shot. But that's not the bow. That's the individual model. And so it's reliable. It's a reliable game. And it makes it so much more interesting and tactical because you can sit down at the at the start of a match with an opponent, shake their hand go through your lists, and you can immediately start playing for turn two or turn three or turn four because your army's going to do what it's going to do. Their army's going to do what it's going to do. And you're kind of playing against the person across from the table, not your dice and your models, if that makes sense. Like, it's it comes down to the general coming out and playing the way they want to play. More about the game rather than, like, your knowledge of the rules. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And even less about how the dice are going in some regards, because there are systems like Might that let you bump things back into the way they're supposed to be. Like it lets you keep your game plan on 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 track. And like it comes down to who's the better general a lot of the time, because there isn't often there isn't these crazy overpowered army lists. Though I'm sure people would argue about that, because rules aren't updated every. You know, it's it's a slow-moving game, which comes to the benefit of people like me that don't get to play very often. And even between editions, I mentioned it earlier, the game hasn't changed a whole lot in comparison to some other game systems over however many editions, I'm putting an air quote here, as opposed to some other games that, from edition to edition, you have massive changes in how the game functions. So it's just, it's consistent, it's reliable, and this is me spinning like a negative to a positive. Like the models are still good. Like those 2001 era models are still being used and they're all reliable. And you don't have to worry about <laughs> your army getting uh, squatted or retconned. Like it's going to be there and you don't have to worry about that. Except for Wozes. I don't know what's going on with them. So sorry for people that really like the Wozes. <laughs> I have more, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. Well, I um, I wanted to say that it's interesting that it's a pro for you that some of the lists are more simplistic because I know there are a lot of people in the community who complain about army lists that are, you know, oh, there's only like one or two model types in this army and like one named hero along with it. 
and then like you know a lot of people who say like why can't more lists be like a mordor or an isengard with like really full fleshed out lists and i i see their argument but it's nice to um hear from someone who is i guess coming in more new to the game and appreciating that there are some lists that are just like hey there's two units so you don't have to read forever a bunch of rules just to understand how the army works it's awesome it's awesome because do you know why it works there's two reasons why it works the first reason it works is it's lord of the rings and everyone loves lord of the rings and you're playing this game because you love lord of the rings even if you say you love it for whatever other reason. I know it's because you love Lord of the Rings. And so even those armies that have one or two heroes, maybe, and one named hero, let's say. I'm just thinking of, like, Numenor. Very basic. But even then, there's even more basic army lists than that. Numenor is Numenor. Like, you're playing Numenor because you love the concept of Numenor as the in the floor and the fluff and how Tolkien uh, wrote it, wrote them, and and express them and you playing them because you love them and you playing them and they they don't need all these bells and whistles and it i love the hobbit armies that are coming in but they are trending more towards some of the other gw systems where they have lots of special rules that are changing how the game functions like uh like the iron hell's ballista it's got some feels bad aspects of it in its special rules and so i look at some of the older armies and they're <laughs> they're immemorial like or, or they are the way they are and they're reliable and you play them because you love them like i've listened to the other guys' episodes and you ask why do you play this army and almost every single time it's not like oh because they're really strong no one says that i've never heard that once in this hobby people like dabble and make like gross list combinations with the matrix but like that's different right people start especially jump into the hobby first for the first time because they 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 pick some i picked isengard because two towers is my favorite movie of all time it's so cool it's just so cool right uh and then i moved on from there but like yeah it's i feel like the pros and cons of this uh this hobby of mesbg really writes itself i wanted to touch on a little bit of what you said earlier about the balance of the game so one thing that I really love about the game is the balance between luck and skill. We can complain about games where they don't go our way because we roll bad or or we, we just have like a really bad turn or we lose all the priorities in the game. But generally, overall, when two players play, the better player will win. And I think that comes down to the design of the game where there is enough of a luck element where it gets you thinking before you make a decision. It gets you to think, uh, what are the risks of this succeeding and failing? And there's a bit of a fun factor, too, to when you roll dice. So I, I, I do think that it is balanced enough that the better player wins. And also when it comes to army list building, too, I think that while army list building is really important, and we talk about it a lot on this podcast, I think the player behind the list is just as important, if not more important. And going into a tournament, I think having a good list will help you win. But like learning from past mistakes and actually knowing how to play an army and why you're making the decisions you're making is arguably more important. And I think just 
overall like game balance right now as well in the new edition just nothing is like overpowered like even even when the kirdan you know pre-nerf was like he was quite rampant like even that wasn't like you know you see a kirdan and it's an instant lose like you know there there were still ways around it it was just like okay why am i seeing him in like you know a third of my games it's kind of annoying but you know like I haven't played as many tabletop games as Marco, but I've played my fair share of video games. And I can say from that experience that a lot of games struggle with, you know, how strong or like things are overpowered or things are underpowered and things are not used a lot. But I can say in SVG that it's pretty good. And and like most things are like at least usable. Really good points. I've got a, uh, on both of those, uh, there's very few there's very few like really bad profiles in Middle Earth SVG. A few can, I can think of as like Feral Urukai is the one I have experience with at least, right? There's very few times where there's something that's just does the same thing but better, and especially in the same list. And that's something that's rampant in some of other GW's games is they're a models company before they're a game company in air quotes and so you have four different choices and there's no reason to take the other three because the fourth one is cheaper and does the same thing but better everything has a piece every model in every army list most of the time has a function and it just comes down to how do you want to play this army and so that's kind of where that low army diversity within the same list kind of comes into a strength. And that auto-lose that you mentioned, that isn't really a thing in MESBG, I agree with. Uh, I've definitely had lots of games where we roll turn one, and I just spent the entire, you know, two weeks ago, I booked this weekend off, this one weekday off, where I'm going to pack up all my models. I did some painting. I, uh, you know, my partner, I told her to keep yourself busy. I'm taking time for myself. And you go up, you, you set up the table, you write an army list, all that stuff, and you get shot off the table. And turn one, you barely got to roll any dice other than armor saves, for example. And then you go home because there's not enough time to play another game. That sucks. <laughs> and I haven't had that happen to me. Even in that very, very first game against Richard's list, my first ever game with Isengard, very uh, unoptimized Isengard list, I had a blast. And we played at least five rounds. I can't remember the exact details. I got, I lost, I went 0 5. I got the wooden spoon that tournament. I don't think I got, like, any victory points. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so bad, and it was so much fun, and I still felt like I played every single turn in those games, even if I was losing brutally. And that's what makes a good game. You're always playing every single phase, every single time. You spoke earlier about different kind of uh, units, different kind of profiles, and it being a rare case where one is better than another in every way. I also feel like it's true when it comes to like armies, how there's so many different play styles and ways to play a game. Even with just one army, there's multiple ways you can play it. And for like a game that's not packed with profiles and not with super complicated rules, that's pretty incredible how many ways you can play this game and how they're relatively balanced. Like you don't go to a tournament and you just see like 90% horde armies or or 90% shooting armies. It's pretty balanced where 
Each playstyle has strengths and weaknesses, and you can do really well at any of them, just depending on your preference, really. Did my essay here leak? Because I'm pretty sure what you just said was verbatim. That was <laughs> Glad we're on the same page here. So I, I want to touch on something like a, a little different than, than that kind of like composition stuff, but just I think probably my favorite part of this game is um, how models and stuff look and move on the tabletop. So obviously, like the, the models we have are pretty, they're pretty good, accurate depictions of the movie. And it, it looks amazing when you have like a proper like Gondor force going up like a proper Mordor force. They have a fell beast, they have trolls in there. It just looks fantastic. Not only that, but just like the way the um, like you was talking about earlier, the skirmish mechanics work is that when you get two shield walls clashing, it's static for a couple turns, but then you can actually see where there is progress visually. If you go up and you see like a bird's eye view, you can see, oh, like I've got a few guys who are pushing through their line here, but I'm taking damage here. Oh, this flank is kind of like starting to fold back a little bit. And just like the look of that, I think is really, really cool. And I haven't really seen anything like that in, in other games that I've seen. I haven't played a lot of, a ton of other games, the tabletop games, but just like I never actually seen something like that where you can see it happening on the tabletop and you actually know that that's like, oh, they're actually in like a worse tactical situation because like of what you can see in like the bird's eye view kind of thing. That's true. I have seen like other games where, uh, where I've played a few games and they just said, oh, you can just remove your casualty in any order. You can take any models in that squad off the table. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like the positioning and where each model is, it matters a lot in SVG, but not necessarily in a lot of other games. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Marco, but like 40K, like, or like at least Age of Sigmar, you, you move as a, as a unit. And I heard like players who have come from those game systems, like their biggest surprise is when you can move individual units and that like blows their mind. And that actually opens up so much tactical options because... Like, when I first played you, Marco, like, I think what you struggled with is, like, objectives. Because you're like, wait, do I have to move this whole battle line over? This whole, like, captain formation, like, over to this objective? And I'm like, no, you could just move a guy. And then, But then it's just thinking, right? And even in, like, what Ian said, like, battle line versus battle line, it doesn't have to be just, like, pushing your models forward, like, directly into the other person. Like, you know, there's, like still like little nuances where you can you know flank the other the opponents or go for like more of a surround or you know stuff like that you're completely right and it's something i struggled with and i actually still do struggle with as i think of my army as a series of units as opposed to individual models and i think the reason why it works, especially in this game, as opposed to maybe other skirmish games, is things die so slowly. Like, uh, that's why, in my opinion, the battle line is so nuanced, is because it'll take three turns. Maybe you'll lose three models each over three turns. But because every model is such an individual, once they start dying and your flank weakens or your left side weakens and like the opponent notices, you have to be a proper general and reinforce like a flank and do that kind of thing. And so it, it really does feel like like a tactically fun, right? It's very fairy and off where in some other games you turn around for a minute to have a conversation with another guy as an observer and you look and an entire like unit or part of the board is now empty because all of those models died off 
like it's not very it's not very common like that's the ex- really extenuating circumstances so things stick around and and every single model matters except in like extremely high horde armies but even then like every goblin counts just to build on that and ask you a question marco because everything died a lot slower what are your thoughts on the model count because i don't mean to use 40k as an example again but it's just i've heard this from 40k players because we play a games workshop and you know people come around and ask questions and a lot of what this game turns them off into trying is they look and they see, oh, the model count's so low. Like some people, they prefer like the big battles and and when you know models die a lot quicker and you have so much more at your command. What, what, how do you feel about that? I feel the exact opposite. I like the smaller model counts, and that's coming from a person that doesn't play elite armies in 40k or Age of Sigmar, right? I, I actually like the lower model count because just I'm repeating myself every model counts every model matters I'm um, gonna call out those people that are like I like big battles until you have to individually move 10 units of 30 orcs and then tell me you're having a good time and me believe you I'm not gonna believe you because no one likes that like I played against players that just play mass horde like melee armies like orcs or turns anyways they just like that's not why they're playing the game. Maybe it looks cool when it's set up on a table, but when you go to a tournament, you're not there to look at things on a table. You're there to play the game, and it just it's exhausting. It's slow. You're stressed for time, not only as the player with the high model count. You're stressed as the player that's not gonna that's playing against the high model count because they're not gonna get another turn because it's only gonna go to turn three, maybe further if they're actually really efficient. And so the game's not really playing out to the end. That just sucks. If you ask me, <laughs> I think as a caveat, though, if you are the type of person that feels powerful rolling a bucket of 100 dice, you're not going to get that in SBG ever. So this might not be the game for you. True. Good point. Um, I'm just thinking about all those things, really, because something that a lot of players have said is just that the rule set is very kind of it's linear the steps that you take in the game are always the same, and it doesn't matter what army you're playing. The game follows turns in which you roll priority, so you're never guaranteed to move first or last. You roll priority, and then you play out the phases in the turn. And that, you know, some people that I've heard a lot of this online, people saying, you know, I haven't played this game since 2003. How do I play? And it's like, well, all the models you have are still going to work because the largest changes to the game in the last 20 years have essentially just been army composition. Very much, we always joke about, you know, there used to be a time when I could have a goblin captain and 70 goblins, and that was an army. But now you've got to have, you know, you've got to have warband breakdown. In the new edition, you have to understand, you have to get used to heroic tiers and how that affects how you can build an army. But aside from that, the models do the same thing. The stat lines have not changed. Well, the stat lines have changed, but the meaning of the stats have not changed. Every model follows the same mechanic. The mechanics across the game have remained unchanged, and I think that's helped me because there was a moment in time probably I had only just gotten into the game. I was kind of struggling to really stay in the game because for the longest time, Ian and I were our only opponents. And if you guys don't know what that means, it means Ian won games and I lost games. 
And, you know, for a while I was like, I was just kind of getting into it. And then they brought out the the Hobbit rules in about 2011. And the first thing I hear is Ian be like, oh, yeah, there's all these like special strikes now. And I'm like, cool, I think I'm out. Like, I, I think that's probably it for me then. But it really turned out not to be that big of a change. Zone of control. Is it, like, what a cool... It's just so cool. I don't know. It's just such a cool thematic game. Like, you can actually hold doorways. That means something. Terrain is cool. Like, there's rules for fighting over barriers. There's rules for jumping, climbing, swimming. And normally in other games, they kind of, like, sidetrack the game. They complicate the game unnecessarily to the point where some rules packs literally won't even play with special terrain rules. And that's so disappointing. Like, people go and say, like, oh, I don't want to play SPG because I want the game to look cool. And, like, I want these cool armies fighting in this crazy, like, city. But then the whole city is just cardboard walls that you can't see through. And there's no interacting with them past that. Meanwhile, the hedge I'm fighting over against, and I've got, like, my Urukai scouts trying to, like, stab them <laughs> for the wall. And it's just not working. It's so cool because there's special rules for that. And, like, dwarves can't swim because their armor's so heavy. And they act like they especially can't swim more so than, like, a, a person that isn't wearing heavy armor. And it works. And it works. Like, it just, it's cool. It's just okay. great. I love it. Because you just said swimming. And I'm like, you and I are both dwarf players. You know there is no such thing as swimming. <laughs> yeah. I, it doesn't count. Ian, <laughs> Ian once knocked me down into a deep water feature. And all my dwarves were just like heavy dwarf armor with with a shield, and they were all just like blah, blah, blah. they were gone. It was over. <laughs> I've never seen dwarves melt into water before, but I did there. All right, that has been our open topic, just discussing our favorite parts, favorite things about the game. Special thanks to Marco for joining us on this episode. Great to hear your opinions, your insight. Look forward to the next episode of Into the West podcast.